We're going to think when we do the episode backwards. It's <laughs> my favorite. Yeah. So your score is 12. <laughs> Wait, we have to start with an outtake. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Moraine. And I'm Harry. And this is A Forever. The show where we each bring three words or phrases or concepts or things, <laughs> that, as long as they're words, basically, <laughs> and the other person has to guess what they mean. And then at the end, we give each other nominal scores, and that's the game. That's the game. Okay, so last week, I went first. So this week, you go first. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> Perfect. My theme this <laughs> I feel like my acting as if I'm responding to you. Still. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, last week I went first, so this week you go first. Thanks, Maraid. True. <laughs> that one was more realistic. Let's stick with that take. All right, perfect. My theme this week is Notre Dame and Gothic architecture. Now, oh, you may not have heard. I did hear. But Gothic architecture is really cool. <laughs> yep, that's also what I was referencing. Yep, great. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Terrible yep. news. Notre Dame yes. burned down. First term is transept. Now, this is related to Gothic architecture, but also is a thing in Notre Dame. Okay, noted. Transept. Okay. Trans, between or across. True. Sept. Um, is it kind of like an arch? <laughs> it sounds like something, it's like, because it's architectural, mm. I'm guessing the between or across is like some piece of architecture that's between or across two other things. And so I'm thinking of like it, the arches. It is that, yes. Okay, it's not cool. an arch, but it is that kind of thing. It's to do with, if you were looking at like a bird's eye view of the pl- of the plan of the church. Okay. Um, if I'm looking at a bird's eye view of the plan of the church, I mean, I get so that I'm looking at it from above, and so it's like something spanning two parts of the church. Yes. So, like the or church. Or of the thing. Like one of the things of one of the tenets of Gothic architecture is that it's kind of in the shape of a cross. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I didn't know that, first mm-hmm. of all. Yes. Second of all, if it's in the shape of a cross. There's the longer vertical piece of the cross and then a shorter horizontal piece. And so it seems like you would need four points to like anchor that, mm-hmm. right? Like each point of the cross. And so is the transept the building that goes between the two horizontal points? Yeah, I think what you're saying is, I think, yes. I think what you're saying is right. <laughs> what is sept in that word? I don't know what sept means. Okay. But I imagine it has something to do with a building. <laughs> so what there's like a longer section of the building that is forming the vertical section of of the cross shape and then mm-hmm. what the trans and then are there is there like another bit of building that then just goes out to make the horizontal pieces so the 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 no so the the transept is itself the the section that cuts across and includes the middle okay got it if you see what i mean yeah so the transept is just the build, the part of the building that uh, yeah. is mm-hmm. 
perpendicular to the rest of the building in making this building look like a cross, which many Gothic buildings do, or churches specifically. Many goth. It's a it's a, a tenet of Gothic architecture. So the most of the. I mean, it's all they're all churches that are Gothic because okay. that was the only thing they were building. That had any kind of aesthetic quality. Cool. Number two is flying buttress. What, is that what the gargoyles perch on? No. Mm, okay. Well, I feel like it's something at the top. It's some ornament on the building. I would go ahead and say that it's neither of those things. In fact, the opposite of both. Okay, it's, it's a drain. <laughs> <laughs> is it a drain? That's like functional and at the bottom. It is functional and at the bottom. That's my point. <laughs> um, it's like like forget flying as like a kind of aesthetic word. Mm-hmm. And think more about what a buttress would be doing in terms of the architecture of the building. A buttress, kind of. I don't know. I think I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so buttresses are things that hold other things up. Okay. Anyway, I'll I'll just explain the whole thing. That was a yeah. So oh, was that a hint? Buttresses. Okay. It was kind of a hint. <laughs> uh, okay. It's more just Do ex- they hold yeah. up flags? It doesn't. <laughs> no. Uh, okay. <laughs> holding up a white flag. <laughs> this one (laughs) (laughs) okay so flying buttresses are support (laughs) systems that hold up the walls that were invented for gothic architecture i mean they use them in roman times but they were not used again i'm yawning (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna like re-explain so they were uh, (laughs) used during roman times but they were not used for a while until gothic architecture which was like the 12th and 13th century um, and they were huge things that kind of you'd have a support about 30 feet from the church wall and you'd mm. have these large arcing structures going oh. from the support to the wall itself and you'd have like 10 of them all around the edge holding up buttressing the the roof I mean buttressing the walls so that the the force like the thrust is what this article I was reading called it of the roof was equal to the thrust of these buttresses kind of evened out and kept the walls up. Okay, got it. Okay, so flying buttresses are a support system for the walls of gothic churches, and basically you have like an <laughs> Welcome back to the accessibility podcast, where we talk about things that people care about. <laughs> yeah. In tonight's episode of Relatable. A we for find accessibility. In the middle of explaining what flying buttresses are. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> it's a support system for the walls of Gothic churches, and there are these <laughs> like anchor stones some distance away from the church, and then the flying buttresses yep. are attached to the stone, and then also to the wall of the church, and it pushes against the walls with an with a thrust equal to the thrust of the roof, pressing down and pushing the walls out so as to keep the building up. Yes. All right. Great. <laughs> That's that then. All right, number three. My third term. So my third term is not about Gothic architecture, but it is about Notre Dame. It's an event that happened in Notre Dame. Okay. All right, here it is. The Festival of Reason. Okay. Does this have to do with the Enlightenment? Yes, but okay. in the in the sense that a lot of things do. Okay. But it's Fair not enough. 
not. It's more related to another epochal European event. The Reformation. Close. Was that? Can that... you think of some big thing that happened in France that related to people wanting to take over churches? The French Revolution. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. 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 You know, I will admit now that I was using Enlightenment as a shorthand for the French Revolution. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, well, if it's not one of those two big things. <laughs> that explains it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize I was doing that shorthand situation. I know, I know what you mean, though, in your mind. You're like, these yeah. things, I'll couple these all together into that. Yeah, exactly. Is it one of these things? Yeah, yeah, I know. I know yeah. Okay, Good so save. the French Revolution. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So the French <laughs> Revolution is what I was thinking about. The, the, yeah, the whole time. Yeah. Basically, I was right from the beginning, and I just want everyone to know. <laughs> okay. That's clear. That's clear to anyone, any fair fair listener. Good, yeah. good to see that. Yeah. So the French Revolution, the Festival of Reason. Oh, you know what? I actually think I know what it is. It's they either burned or cut off or something. I can't remember. I don't remember what the things are made of, but it's like they burned or cut off the heads of saints that were saint statues that were like inside or outside somewhere in the cathedral because they mistook them for statues of landed aristocracy yes that's like one of the the things that happened yes i'll give it to you yes okay so the festival of reason is related to the cult of reason which was kind of a um, i don't know like a, i guess you call it a phenomenon that happened related to the revolution Okay. Where people tried to replace, or like the centralized committees, the Committee for Public Safety specifically, tried to replace religion with, quote unquote, reason, like enlightenment ideals of reason. Yeah. And so they had all these festivals of reason where they would go to the cathedrals in each city and they would destroy a lot of the artifacts, like the statues and things like that. Sometimes it would be the peasants doing it, um, mistaking them for the aristocracy, not really knowing what was going on. Uh-huh. And sometimes they would just be looting the place. Um, and it was all very confusing, but basically they were called festivals of reason. Like there's a kind of a confusion of motive. Whether it was just to loot generally? Exactly. Some thought it, like it was anger at the aristocracy. It was anger at the church. The central committee thought it was replacing the uh, the church with reason, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So the Committee for Public Safety mm-hmm. organized what they called festivals of reason or what have become called festivals of reason? I think... They have since been called festivals. Okay. And these were intended to be occasions marking the replacement of religion with reason, Mm. like enlightenment ideals of reason. Um, But there was a bit of a confusion of purpose, and they were generally marked by, (laughs) like, rioting and looting and just destruction. Yes. That is it. Cool. Great. And it's related to Notre Dame because one of them happened at Notre Dame. Yeah, the main one, the first one. Okay, got it. That is the end of round one. All right, round two. My theme this week is persuasion theory. Oh, love those things that are just words and then have theory at the end. (laughs) My first term is latitude of acceptance. So I'm imagining you're trying to persuade someone of something. So Uh is persuasion theory kind of theories of how persuasion happens, how people are persuaded and how to persuade people? 
Yeah. Okay. So I'm imagining a kind of analogy of an idea. Or let's say, yeah, let's say it's an idea. I'm trying to persuade you that my shirt is white, let's say. Okay. And I'm imagining kind of a spectrum of things. Just This is just a large spectrum of ideas. And within that, there is a certain section of that spectrum that I would describe as the latitude of acceptance. And those are things that you will accept to be true. And using persuasion, I could maybe extend that. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. I... Not true, but you persuaded me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like your personal Overton window, which is right. a term that we've yes. covered before. Mm-hmm. And in political discourse, it's like the range of ideas that are acceptable for discussion. And so then the latitude of acceptance is like your own personal Overton window. It's mm. the things that you can be convinced of or things that are outside of your realm of acceptance. And it can be moved or extended like an Overton window? I imagine. Yes, you'd think so. Okay, cool. My next term is attitude inoculation. Inoculation is like vaccination. It creates kind of an immunity to something. Yep. An immunity to an attitude? Is it an attitude that gives you an immunity, or is it an immunity to that attitude? It is more you are being inoculated in your attitude by doing something. So you have an attitude Uh towards something. You have an opinion, and then you're being inoculated through doing something specific with that opinion. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry, that's a confusing hint. Yep, it is. (laughs) I don't know, your your hint is really throwing me off. (laughs) Okay, so you have an attitude about something, you're like, oh. I think that microphones should be handheld and never in a stand. Yeah, okay, perfect. Okay, so yeah, you're like, microphones should always be handheld, and that's my attitude. And then maybe some people might disagree with you. There are some ways that you can be sort of inoculated against their disagreement. Okay. And that's what attitude inoculation is. (laughs) But what is the attitude? That you think microphones should be handheld. That's an attitude, or is it? It is in this example. All right. So attitude inoculation is using certain strategies to inoculate oneself against conflicting arguments to one's attitude. Yeah, I think that's as close as you're going to get. Attitude inoculation is when people have practiced defending themselves against Mm -hmm. slight affronts to their beliefs. They're more resistant later to full-on affronts. So having students, kids, role play saying no to being asked to smoke. And you kind of see that in like anti-smoking government ads, right? It like role plays. You see someone say no to drugs. They're like planting the seed of saying no. And then later on, if they're actually asked in person, they've already practiced. And so it's like Mm -hmm. easier to protect themselves from saying yes later. Um, That can be a good thing. But then it also seems to me like it would be associated with people's tendencies to dig down into their opinions. Yeah, that's that's my that was my first view of it. That's what it seemed like to me. Yeah. Attitude inoculation is the phenomenon in which defending one's position in a low stress environment leads one to be more steadfast in its defense in a high stress environment later on. Okay, and then my final term is sleeper effect. Sleepers effect, sleeper agents are agents who do not, unbeknownst to them, when given a certain signal, will suddenly become an agent acting on behalf of a certain party. Okay. 
Is that related? The idea that's related there is like, oh, there's this thing that's planted in the sleeper agent mm. and then it just comes to fruition later. Maybe you can, while arguing with someone or persuading something of someone, you can plant something in someone's brain, which later on over time will convince them. Yeah, that's close. It's not so much something that you are doing so -hmm. much as it's a result of fallible human memory. So a message is initially paired with cues Mm -hmm. that make you distrust it, like Mm -hmm. it's coming from an untrustworthy source. Right. But then over time, it's uncoupled from those cues. You forget right. where it's coming from, and then mm. you just remember the message. And you're like, oh, that's more convincing. So it uncouples the argument from the person or source, if it's like a newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Very cool. I yeah. like this a lot. Um, all right, that is the end. Of round two. Okay, for latitude of acceptance, I gave you five out of five. Oh, nice. For attitude inoculation, I gave you four out of five. Generous. And for sleeper effect, I gave you three out of five. Good, for I find that accurate. For a total of 12 out of five. Nice. For transept, I gave you three out of five. Great. For flying buttress, <laughs> I gave you one out of five. Yeah, appropriate. <laughs> for festival of reason, I gave you five out of five. <laughs> Woo! For a grand total of eight out of five. Well, well done. <laughs> for a grand total of eight out of 15. I also think it's nine out of 15. <laughs> wow. For a grand total of nine out of 15. For a grand total of nine out of five. Nine out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) If you are interested in learning more about persuasion technique, my terms came from the textbook Conducting Research in Social Psychology, Measuring the Weight of Smoke by Brett Pelham and Hart Blanton, which is the same textbook that I referenced two weeks ago. Um, Yeah, and I'll have that linked in the show notes. My terms came from an article I read in the New York Times about gothic architecture and Notre Dame and I will link it in the show notes by giving it to Murray. <laughs> okay, fantastic. A for Effort is hosted and produced by me, Murray. And me, Harry. And is edited by me, Murray. But not me, Harry. Our sound engineer is Nick Shoop and our illustrator slash designer is Marielle Wall. If you'd like to get into contact with us, you can send us an email at aforeffortcast at gmail.com or you can go on our Instagram page, which is... At A for Effort Cast. You can also find the show on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And other than that, we'll be back in two weeks. See you then. Goodbye. Bye-bye. I just followed it. On SoundCloud? one follower. No, on Instagram. <laughs> We have one follower and we're not following anyone. <laughs>